Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barton in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March 7th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Over 200 people are killed in fighting Somalia's disputed region of Somaliland. At this moment, there appears to be little possibility of an imminent resolution of the conflict. The multiplicity of actors and interests make it extremely difficult to find a middle ground. South Africa's President Ramaphosa announces changes to his cabinet. Nigeria's opposition People's Democratic Party protests the outcome of its presidential elections. Ahead of Wednesday's International Women's Day, the Liberian women's rights activists say females continue to be unrepresented in her country's politics. Currently, as we speak in the 21st century, we have in the Liberian Senate that has 30 members. We have only two women senators. And in the House of Representatives, we have seven women to so the four men. Ugandan women say politics is difficult for them, and an Ivory Coast project aims to teach new generations about an iconic traditional instrument. Those stories and more are coming up on Daybreak Africa. The director of a hospital in Las Ano, a disputed border town in Somalia's breakaway region of Somaliland, says about 200 people have been killed and hundreds more wounded in weeks of intense fighting. Both sides blame the other for starting the conflict, which has also damaged hospitals. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. For about a month now, Somaliland army has been fighting with clan militias for control of Las Ano, Somaliland which broke away from Somalia three decades ago, has controlled the town since 2008. But the local clans support Somalia's federal government and wish to be governed by it. Despite local and international calls for a ceasefire, fighting has continued, rising fears of a full-blown humanitarian crisis amid a biting drought that has already affected thousands of people in the contested region. Dr. Ismail Mahamud, the director of Gergar Hospital in Las Anod. Dr. Ismail Mahamud says the number of wounded patients is close to 1,000 because it now stands at 950, while more than 200 people have been killed in the fighting. Most of the victims are civilians, he adds. Mahamud says the situation in the city has gotten worse due to the shelling of hospitals. He says the main Las Anot hospital has suffered the most, with virtually all departments destroyed by shelling from Somaliland forces. The UN Security Council last month called for a de-escalation of violence in Las Anot, adding to similar calls from the federal government in Mogadishu. Those calls have gone unheeded as both sides continued exchanging heavy fire. Matt Bryden, the founder of Sahan Research, a security and political think tank focusing on the Horn of Africa told VOA why peace remains elusive in Las Anod. At this moment, there appears to be little possibility of an imminent resolution of the conflict. The multiplicity of actors and interests make it extremely difficult to find a middle ground. Somaliland will not easily relinquish its claim to Seoul region because that would undermine the territory's case for international recognition. According to Bryden, a military victory for either side may pave the way for dialogue. He asks that demands by Rulbante clan in Las Anot for their own regional government could upset the federal structure in Somalia. He says 
This could motivate other clans which may not be happy with their respective regional governments to follow suit. The first victim of this conflict is probably Somaliland's electoral calendar. It's hard to see how party and presidential elections could take place this year if much of Seoul region is excluded from voting. And this, in turn, would have wider ramifications for Somaliland's claim to be an electoral democracy, which has already taken a beating due to widespread criticism of its actions in Las Anod. Ahmed Hadi, the founder of a Mogadishu-based governance think tank, told VOA the competing interests between Somaliland and Somalia's semi-autonomous Buntala region and clans within Seoul region mean the fight could continue for a long time. He says, I think it's not possible to stop this fighting which has now been ongoing for over 20 days. The main challenges are linked ones. He says, Buntuland state wants to dislodge Somaliland from their territories, while Somaliland wants to control these areas to tell the world it is ready for recognition. Also, clans in this area are struggling for independence from both sides. Hadi believes the fighting and casualties among civilians will hurt Somaliland's reputation and complicate its long-standing push for international recognition. Ahmed Mohamed, for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Members of Nigeria's opposition People's Democratic Party marched to the offices of the National Electoral Commission on Monday to protest the official results of the recent presidential election. The commission declared the ruling all-progressive Congress party candidate Bola Tinubu the winner of the February 25 polls, which were marred by technical problems that delayed voting. Opposition parties say the election was rigged and have launched legal challenges. Timothy Obiazu reports from Abuja. Hundreds of supporters of the opposition People's Democratic Party chanted as they marched to the national headquarters of the Independent National Electoral Commission, or INEC. The demonstration, led by presidential candidate Atiku Abubakar and other party officials, was organized to protest last week's declaration of ruling party candidate Bola Ahmed Tinubu as the winner of the February 25th presidential polls. Protesters, mostly in black, chanted that Abubakar won the vote and said INEC is a fraud that subverted the will of the people. Kola Ologbondion is the PDP presidential campaign committee spokesperson. We have evidence that we want this election, arising from our own coalition. But what we are saying is this. What we are saying now, what we are demanding, is that at this moment that we are talking, Mahmoud Yakubu has not done a review of that coalition. So the starting point is to review the coalition. That's our demand. Yakubu is the chairman of INEC in office since November 2015. Paul Ibe, a media advisor to Abubakar, also protested Monday. This is the worst conducted election in our democratic uh, you know, history. There was a lot of expectation. Nigerians were looking up to a leader that would bring them together, somebody that would begin the process of recovery and rebuilding our country. It's a missed opportunity because what we have is actually a robbery. Heavily armed police prevented the protesters from invading the INEC premises. INEC officials did not address the aggrieved party members. The presidential and parliamentary elections were characterized by staff delays and system failures. 
INEC said delays were caused by logistics issues and security threats in some areas. But INEC's newly introduced voter accreditation machines failed to function properly across many states. Over the weekend, INEC held a briefing with officials to review the election and better prepare for the gubernatorial polls on March 11. INEC chairman Mahmoud Yakubu spoke at the briefing. As we approach the governorship and state assembly elections, we must work harder to overcome the challenges experienced in the last election. Nothing else will be acceptable to Nigerians. Last week, third-party candidate Peter Obi announced he also won the election and will prove it to Nigerians in court. On Sunday, the U.S. ambassador to Nigeria, Mary Beth Leonard, said the presidential election failed to meet expectations. Tinubu has called for unity and says he wants all parties to work with him for a better country. Experts say that regardless how things play out, the president will have big issues to deal with, including widespread insecurity, a weak economy, and troubled health and education systems. Timothy Obiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Tuesday, March 7th. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A Liberian women's rights activist said women in Liberia continue to be underrepresented in politics, even though the country has had a female president and currently a female vice president. Fasiya Bonyana Harris says women are not and will not be satisfied until they achieve equity in political representation that reflects the population. For example, she says Liberian women make up half of the population, yet there are only two women senators compared to 28 men. There are also seven women in the House of Representatives compared to 64. Bonyana Harris is a 2022 recipient of the International Women of Courage Award. She is currently in Washington, D.C. to attend this year's ceremony hosted by the White House because the 2022 awardees could not travel to Washington last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Bonyana Harris tells me the award is for all Liberian women for their contribution towards peace, development, and the fight for social justice. I feel happy. I feel that this is a recognition collectively for the work that Liberian women continue to do to contribute towards peace development and the fight for social justice. So I'm personally, I'm happy that all of the work we do in our communities, at the local level, at the national level, that we are recognized for it. But most often, the stories of women do not get told in a manner in which it shows the level of work and contributions that they do make to the collective fight and the development processes, especially in Liberia. In Liberia, do you think progress has been made? Because people say Liberia has had a female president and uh, a female vice president. What do you think about women being in leadership in Liberia? So I think Liberian women continue to play leadership role at different levels from the days of 
Niswa Coco, Lanco Lepe, Ruth Sanopere, Auntie Brooks Runner. We've had like great women who have been in leadership positions at different levels. What the challenge is, is in terms of the level of equality that we experience and representation in decision-making continues to be a challenge. You have a national legislature that is 103 persons, and currently as we speak in the 21st century, we have in the Labyrinth Senate that has 30 members, you have only two women senators, so 28 men. And in the House of Representatives, we have seven women, the 64 men. So if you do the calculation, you know that Liberian women continue to be underrepresented in terms of our politics and national leadership. We feel that there's still a whole lot needs to be done to ensure that we put in equity measures that is going to allow equal representation, which is promoted by the Constitution of Liberia. Let me ask you, because I understand you have also done work against sexual assault and harassment of young women and also the issue of uh, female genital mutilation. But let me first ask this female genital mutilation. Where are we? I read recently that perhaps there is some progress in Liberia. There's a a moratorium on female genital mutilation. Where we are is politically tricky, I would put it that way. Recently on the International Day Against Female Genital Mutilation, Accounts and commitments were made to put an end in certain places to the forceful initiation of women and girls. We look forward to total eradication of that part of our culture. We respect our culture, we value our culture, but the forceful initiation and the cutting of this genital is what we continue to say no to because. Uh, we feel it's a violation of women's human rights. At this point, we want to see legal reform completely putting an end to female genital mutilation. We want a bill to be passed. When we have a bill, a legislation that is in access and there is a law, we now can go to the second phase of implementation of that law, making sure that people who violate the law can be prosecuted. Talk to me, please, about your work with young women, young girls, and their education. What do you see as some of the impediments to educating young women? Girls are challenged with retention, and the overriding issue around poverty continues to be a challenge. So even if uh, girls go to school and they start the school year, there are a lot of other social factors that serve as serious challenge to retention issues around tuition, so we still have issues around sexual reproductive health and rights issues that continue to challenge girls' retention. We have sexual harassment, which continues to challenge girls' retention in school. And recently, we were working on a project to help improve girl-friendly watch facility in schools. Ms. Harris, thank you so much. And let me say once again, congratulations uh, for your award. Thank you, Ms. So, but Just before I leave, I would just like to say thank you to the U.S. State Department for the recognition, the International Women of Courage Award. This is a recognition to the women of Liberia for all of the work that we continue to do. And I want to tell the Liberian women, let us celebrate together. Let us continue to use our voices to cry out for the rights of women in marginalized communities.
Fasia Bonyano Harris is a 2022 recipient of the International Women of Courage Award. She spoke with us from Liberia en route to Washington, D.C. Ahead of International Women's Day this Wednesday, some women in Uganda say female leaders, in particular those involved in politics, are still let down by traditional norms and beliefs, as well as by other social and economic challenges. Their solution is the Inter-Party Women Platform, an umbrella group of all political parties in the country, which will help them to compete in politics. Reporter Mugumi Davis-Rakariji has more from Kampala. Parliamentarian Helen Nachimoli says she faced many societal challenges on the campaign trail two years ago. Often she was questioned about her marital status and some people told her directly do not vote for a single woman. She defied the odds and wanted to represent the island district of Kalangala. But she says traditional norms and practices don't end on even when one is elected into office. She says some women politicians are discriminated against and sexually exploited by their male peers. Most people think when you're not a married woman, you may not be responsible since you don't have a family to look after, what have you. So for me, I believe it depends on somebody's capabilities. Men undermine women because they believe they are a superior gender, they are masculine, they are this and that. So they believe women may not perform better than them. But we have actually seen women perform better than some men. Santa Okot is also a legislator. She says one way... To remove such a constraint in society, it sensitizes communities. As we promote the women, we should bring the men on board. But there's already some men, majority of them, who understand that when a woman is busy doing something, there's no problem. But there are these others who can still cause problems due to cultural background. But that's why we are talking about equality, that if the, the, the woman is not yet at home, and you, the man, is at home, you can take care of the children. Meanwhile, she's not there. That is sharing of responsibility. In recent days, women in Uganda have taken top social and political positions. The Prime Minister, Speaker of Parliament, as well as the Vice President, are women. Aisha Waligo heads the Interparty Women Platform, an umbrella group that advocates for women's civil rights. There are scenarios and there are reports carried out with many organizations. They have come out with reports indicating how women have been sexually harassed in the terms of party primaries. You know how very uh, expensive party primaries are for the candidates. She says it becomes challenging since most women do not own property. The statistics are really alarming because out of the 353, only 14 are women in parliament. Out of the 166 districts, only three are women. So such statistics are really very alarming. Therefore, as the platform, we want to work out modalities to see how best we go to communities, to sensitize communities. And then again, we want to run out politics of accountability because many politicians, we do not account to the people. She says each district must also have a woman member of parliament. Waligo says she would advocate for more affirmative action for women to gain more seats and positions of leadership. She says by coming together, women have a much stronger voice in decision making. For VOA News, I am Gume, Davis Rwakarinji Kampala, Uganda.
In 2012, the United Nations Body on Education, Science and Culture, also known as UNESCO, identified the traditional xylophone, known as the balafon, as an important part of humanity's cultural heritage. Today, in Ivory Coast, informal workshops with students are underway to promote the instrument and highlight its African origins. Alain Amuchi looks at this unique instrument in this story, narrated by Salim Solomon. In a workshop in Abidjan, Ivory Coast, balafon manufacturing is a tradition for the Seydou family. Here, craftsmen make five to seven balafons per month. The musical instrument is a light wooden structure tied together with leather straps. The keys, or blades, are pieces of hardwood of increasing size and height with calabash grounds attached below to form sound boxes. If you have 30 blades, the balafon must necessarily take 30 calabashes because each blade has its own calabash. Large, high-quality balafons cost about $800 each in Ivory Coast. In Europe, they can go for over $2,000. Ibrahim Diabate is a balafon teacher who immigrated to Spain, but he returns home every year to Ivory Coast to recharge and find new sounds and balafons. When I arrived in Europe, I found that people know the importance of the balafon. But here, people see as commonplace. It doesn't matter. We have to value it. It's very important because in Spain, they value the balafon. They call it the marimba. During a balafon teaching session, 16-year-old student Imran Sabra discovers the instrument for the first time. It is really amazing because the way it is made and it is handcraft, and I think more people need to play it. The Seydou brothers say they will continue to produce balafons to make sure this cultural treasure survives and spread their musical knowledge to the world. For Alin, Amochin, Abidjan, Ivory Coast, Salim Solomon, Vioenus. Tunisian President Kaya Saeed has denounced racism and suggested possible legal action against perpetrators who attack African migrants. His remarks come 10 days after he said migrants were part of a demographic plot to make Tunisia less Arab. Since then, hundreds of migrants have been detained, evicted from their homes, fired from their work, and been attacked by gangs of youth. According to the French news agency AFP, Saïe announced that Africans could stay up to six months without seeking residency instead of three and a year for students. He also said migrants who had overstayed could leave without penalty, including fines. And he said his crackdown on them is part of a campaign against human trafficking. Saïe's remarks come as opposition to his rule grows among the public and international community. In the past two years, he has assumed nearly complete political power, which he says was needed to prevent chaos. And that's it for this Tuesday, March 7th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending your morning with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Botti in Washington, wishing that you will have an amazing Tuesday. 
VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music, from bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. Season 3 of the Basketball Africa League is here. Starting off in Dakar from March 11th to March 21st for the Sahara Conference, then heading to Cairo from April 26th to May 6th for the Nile Conference, and the excitement continues to build in the finals in Kigali from May 21st to May 27th. Tune in and follow the BAL starting this Saturday on The Voice of America. 